I know that when, when we put our call buttons in at a bowling alley, they said just the fact that they could press a button and someone came to them to give them something. That's the ease of life. Mm-hmm. And people, they want to easily spend yeah. money. They don't want it to be complex. They don't want to have to sit down mm-hmm. and say, oh, my gosh, now i got to get in the car, take my kid over to do this. And then we're going to load up the car another day and go do this. Make it all happen yeah. in a place. And I think people are in this industry, they're starting to realize that. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Luria, the Editorial Director of Box Office Pro, the pulse of theatrical exhibition. Here once again with my colleague and co-host, Rebecca Polly, Deputy Editor of Box Office Pro. And in this week's episode, brought to you by Spotlight Cinema Networks, we will be going over highlights from the Dine-In Cinema Summit, a big event that happened last month in Dallas, Texas. Spotlight is the title sponsor of the event, and we are having a feature interview with the two folks that run it, Matt and Amy Mater. They are also part of the team behind Venue Valet, which is an order technology for dine-in cinemas. That's coming up in the feature segment, but let's hop right into it. Rebecca, we've got some news this week. We've got some... Good box office news, some shaky box office holds on week two, and a whole lot of updates from overseas. Where should we start? Let's do it where we always do. What did you watch last weekend? I watched a movie from, I think, 85 or 86 called Reform School Girls. It's a incredibly, Ooh. wonderfully schlocky you have me at the title alone. Yeah, it sounds like women in prison a film. But from the 80s, I didn't know that like subgenre was still alive and kicking in the 1980s. I associated it with more like 70s grindhouse. This one stars one of the lead singers, like a founding punk singer named Wendy O. Williams, who was just like amazing in this in this movie. Mm, man. <laughs> it's the sort of thing that as the credits were rolling, I was like, I wish I'd been able to see this in a movie theater because So you saw a punk rock eighties women's prison film. Yes. I why don't I ever get invited to the cool movies? That sounds awesome. I actually had a throwback movie myself. It wasn't 1980s women prison picture, but not too far from it, 1973, the second movie that makes Joe Don Baker a star, Walking Tall. I had already seen Charlie Varick, which is like the Joe Don Baker role that I will always remember him on. I have the poster in my apartment. I highly, highly recommend it. A personal favorite, Charlie Varick. Anyway, the other movie that makes Joe Don Baker a star in 1973 is his starring role in Walking Tall, where he plays like a rogue anti-corruption sheriff that's also into civil rights. It's a weird movie. I didn't love it, but man, it's one of those like messy 1970s movies that are just all over the place. Fun as hell. I really recommend it. But back to 2023, as much as I'd love to geek out with you about women's prison films and Joe Don Baker If you do want to hear a two-hour breakdown of the filmography of Joe Don Baker in a future podcast episode, (laughs) please email Daniel at boxoffice.com. Yeah, just ask. Find me at CinemaCon. Three beers saying we will geek out all about Joe Don Baker movies. That's a conversation for a later time. I think you're right, Rebecca, because we do have to talk a little bit about the news. A couple of items here. Let's start with some box office benchmarks around the world. A big, big piece of news here. BTS yet to come in cinemas, an event cinema concert with South Korean pop band BTS just crossed 
$53 million at the global box office, making it the highest grossing event cinema release worldwide to date. That's great news, Rebecca. Again, we're looking at a release scenario where event cinema keeps on filling in these gaps in the schedule. $53 million is crazy. And with BTS, I mean... I'm sure the record they broke was their own record, given how successful their concert films have been in the event cinema format. It's interesting here with this BTS title, Rebecca, because the premium large formats owned by CJ4 Dplex, a South Korean company, the panoramic screen, Screen X, and the motion seating technology 4DX, they combined for a quarter of the box office globally for this event cinema title, even though they only have 10% of the market share in screens. So when you have 10% of the auditoriums playing this record-breaking title coming in with a quarter of the grosses. And it's interesting to look at because, you know, as the Screen X technology kind of came up and it came over from some of those Korean circuits within the last, you know, decade or so, I wasn't really ever talked about that I'm familiar with in the context of these concert films, probably because, you know, you go back a decade ago in North America, at least there weren't that many theatrical release concert films, but it seems like the perfect fit. Clearly, I am not the only person who thinks so. About about a quarter of the people who saw BTS yet to come in cinemas feel the same way. And it's also not a completely barren period to be performing at the box office right now. As we're seeing, titles are coming out, titles are doing well at the box office. Last weekend, no exception, with the debut of John Wick Chapter 4. Rebecca, this posted a franchise-high record at the domestic box office. It's really interesting to see. It's neat to see a filmmaker and the creative team, and indeed Lionsgate, who... I mean, I feel like they've never wavered from the John Wick series being such a big screen experience. Sometimes I'll be walking around the city and you just you see someplace that looks like a John Wick set. And who'd have thought when the first one come out came out that it would become like an architectural cultural reference point. I don't know. Did you end up seeing it over the weekend? I know you were excited I, I to. haven't been able to see it. Clearly, I saw Joe Dodd and Baker movie at home instead. <laughs> no, I've been at home because we are on deadline. We're on CinemaCon deadline here, which, by the way, if you are emailing us, if you're one of our vendor partners and we haven't gotten back to you. That's why. And we apologize. Yeah, that's, that's why we haven't been able to leave the apartment. We are scheduled to send out our CinemaCon print edition at 3 p.m. Eastern time on Friday, March 31st, and my ticket to see John Wick Chapter 4 at the Lower Manhattan Alamo Draft House is at 5 p.m. So I already know how I'm celebrating. We better not have any problems delivering that issue. (laughs) Yeah, no, there better not be. Otherwise, you're the one delivering it Uh, because I'm going to be- not missing John Wick 4. No, I'm probably just going to get like a bottle of rosé on my own and just drink pink wine while watching Keanu Reeves- $73 $73 million and about 3,800 screens for the first weekend. And well, Daniel, we know that you'll be contributing to that holdover gross. Do we have any kind of estimations on what the holdover for this could be based on maybe past films in this series? We'll be crunching that data shortly on our website, boxofficepro.com. You'll be able to see our latest forecasting for the second frame of John Wick Chapter 4 this weekend, because it will be battling a couple of wide releases here coming up this weekend, Rebecca. I think most notably is going to be Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among Thieves from Paramount. This is a title that is coming in with some IP recognition, but it is by no means established. It can really go either way. Right now, we're currently looking at a range between 
25 million to 36 million dollars for opening weekend. Things are tracking upward. I think our forecasting has been inching slightly higher and higher. Press screenings were last week. You did a long lead interview with the filmmakers. What was your sense of this movie? My sense is that it's going to be a lot more kind of light and fun and, and just comedic than you might think a high fantasy movie would be. You know, it's from the guys who directed Game Night, which I just, their sense of humor, they're just really funny guys. And it kind of meshes with what I'm hearing from people going to these press screenings is that like, whoa, this is surprisingly good. This is surprisingly funny. It's getting quite good reviews. I know that press readings are still being added, which is always a good sign about uh, as to the confidence. And we look at the market as a whole, Paramount's other title in cinema, Scream 6, inching towards that $100 million mark in North America. Elsewhere, Creed 3, inching towards $150 million domestic. John Wick is going to cross $100 million by the end of its sophomore frame, absolutely. Even something like Jesus Revolution from Lionsgate, that crossed $50 million this week in week five. It's still in the top this 10. This is going well. Yeah, people are going to the movies. It doesn't have to be blockbuster weekends, week in, week out. But this is what we've been calling for years. The movies are out. The audiences are back. Not every movie. I mean, Shazam! Fury of the Gods did drop 68% in the second weekend, so people not really tuning in for this one. But if yeah, if you look at the top 10, you have John Wick, you have an action movie, you have sports movie in Creed 3, you have a Marvel movie, you have a faith-based Jesus revolution, you have Cocaine Bear, which feels like it kind of should be its own genre. I mean, we're finally seeing just some of that diversity and some of these, some of that variance and titles, and we're going to keep seeing more of them. Yeah, one after the other, it feels like, especially if you look at that Q2 with Disney releases, a lot of concentration on family-friendly movies. We're all excited to see how this plays out. And of course, we'll be seeing a preview of all of these titles at CinemaCon taking place in Las Vegas, Nevada from April 24th through 27th. It's a little bit late to register if you haven't yet, but not too late. Don't forget to go to CinemaCon to get the latest information on how to be a part of it. Rebecca and I will be there. Box Office Pro will be coming to you from that event with a new podcast episode every single day, going over all of the big highlights, news items, and panel conversations. So don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Hit that follow, subscribe button. I don't know where you listen to us, but we're available on all major platforms the Box Office Podcast, our daily CinemaCon edition, beginning the Thursday before CinemaCon and after that, daily episodes, Monday through Friday of that week. We'll be announcing our feature guests shortly because we're already lining them up. That's going to be exciting. But first, we've got this episode to talk about. Rebecca, an interesting conversation with Matt and Amy Mater from Venue Valley, the organizers of the Dine-In Cinema Summit, which is sponsored by our partners at Spotlight Cinema Networks. That's coming up soon. I know you're a big Dine-In fan. I'm a big junk food fan, which is, you know, Dine-Ins have <laughs> other things other than junk food, but not that I'm going to order. Well, I was going to ask, because we're going to get into this great conversation about the, the biggest highlights, the biggest takeaways of this event that took place last month, bringing together the top executives from the biggest dine-in cinema chains all over the country. Some really interesting new trends, new innovations coming to these dine-in cinemas. For you personally, what has been the most important and interesting innovation in the dine-in space since they reopened during the pandemic? 
I mean, is it flip of me if I just say the Alamo Draft House is pickle fries? Because like spiritually, that somebody nailed pickle fries. They're tough to do right. And I will say this one theater did. But no, in all seriousness, I mean, we're seeing dine-ins are a pretty substantial part of kind of the wider industry story that we're seeing of the industry, you know, recovering from the pandemic in part by going bigger, whether that's screens, whether that's premium formats, whether that's physically literally bigger in these cinema entertainment centers and more location-based entertainment. And dine-in too, I mean, they're providing something that is not just the movie as a way to just kind of sweeten that movie going experience. And I think it's, you know, I think it's good to try a lot of different things. I'm glad that the industry is, you know, we got this period of experimentation going and I'm, I'm really excited about it. I would say it's more of a spirit than a period, to be completely honest. I think after being there in Dallas last month, you're absolutely right. There is this real commitment from exhibitors to make sure that the experience is as special as possible as interesting and compelling and memorable as it could be. And we're seeing that investment, not only through technology, as you mentioned, Rebecca, but menu items and hospitality. A wonderful conversation. We're going to be going over that just in a little bit. But first, here is a message from our partners at Spotlight Cinema Networks. This episode of the Box Office Podcast is brought to you by Spotlight Cinema Networks, the only cinema advertising company dedicated to serving the needs of art house, luxury, and dine-in exhibitors for cinema advertising, pre-show entertainment, event cinema, and digital display distribution. Spotlight offers unique revenue-generating advertisement programs tailored to an upscale and influential cinema audience. In collaboration with Box Office Pro, Spotlight Cinema Networks is proud to present this episode of the Box Office Podcast on last month's Dine-In Cinema Summit. To find out more about Spotlight Cinema Networks, visit SpotlightCinemaNetworks.com. And we're back here on the Box Office Podcast with Matt and Amy Mader, the organizers of the Dine-In Cinema Summit, sponsored in part by Spotlight Cinema Networks, who are also the advertisers of today's episode. Matt, Amy, welcome to the podcast. And with that, I guess let's start with just asking both of you, what was your main takeaway from the Dine-In Cinema Summit in 2023? So, yeah, I kind of had a hard time, like, saying, like, what was my main, like, uh, you know, because, Daniel, when you asked me that question, I was like, what is the one thing I took away? I kind of broke it up into two groups, and I couldn't really come down with one thing. But if I, the top of the thing on my list was that we were bringing in a whole entire group of FEC people who were explaining how to take your 15, 14, 13, 10 complex, you know, because there is no studio content and how to make money with that. And I felt like the group either was overwhelmed, like I thought they had great questions, but I'm like, they were just kind of like, it was enough to get them thinking that I can do this as opposed to, I can't do this, it costs too much money. That would be my first takeaway. Mater, what was yours? So my takeaway, I thought I was very confident going into this, this year, in terms of what the content was going to be, you know, what, what our agenda was, right? So I was where Amy was working with a handful. I was working with a handful of the people that were running the panels, right? Like yourself and, and more so the other ones, right? I'll elaborate on that in a minute, but I was confident going in more confident than the previous four years that in our content, what we were going to share and specifically how it was going to be shared. Because as you know, 
from being at this thing before. The first year we did this, we set out to be different. We didn't want to have your typical panel. This stems off of the feedback that Amy just gave you on the panel you ran. There's so much that can be explored there, right? And not just on the, on the marketing side of the industry, if you're, especially if you're a small exhibitor, right? And just trying to continue to grow your business, trying to stay alive, and you don't have a lot of money and resources available, right? So to have some, just as an example, to have some concrete examples, you know, you had great panelists up there, but to know to do that for an hour or 45 minutes, and then to have like, take over the screen and actually walk through some real use cases. This is what we did for this customer and show how it worked, like really tear it apart, right? So people walk away and go, now these concepts, these topics aren't just abstract, right? Or theoretical, like I see these guys walking through what they did for two or three exhibitors to illustrate the points you made in the first 45 minutes of the panel. So I was very confident in the content that we had, we want to actually present information and open up a dialogue with the audience, right, and start to actually just to make topics and theoretical concepts and whatever to be more real, right? So dig into them and say, when you tried this, what didn't work? And then which do next time? And then let's talk about that. And so when Dave Wallace started throwing his content up there, you got eventually you got to see not just bullet points, but he actually threw financials. Right. I said, this is great, Dave. Now throw some financials in here and let them take a picture of it, or we'll share that with them. So those numbers really make things come to life, right? And so the one takeaway I came away from with this show is that we are finally, after five years, to the point where the last 60 days of our planning going into this thing should be much easier because – Amy and I can offload the responsibility and the burden of putting a 60-minute chunk of time together that not just just a speech and throwing content out, but it's an interactive experience for the people that are there so that they actually can walk away with something tangible to go back and try at their theater from an operations perspective or a marketing perspective. It's not just abstract comments that make you go, hmm, I should reach out to that company, but even perhaps I could actually make a change. I could change how my kitchens run because I went to Marcus I toured it, and then I asked a question and said, why do you do it this way? And they told me, and now I can go back and actually try to implement something before the summer season comes up and see if it makes an impact to my kitchen staff. And those are the kinds of people that we want to be involved in this every year and grow that audience. That was my takeaway. Amy and I, we can start to feel more and more confident in our ability to keep those that we have involved into this and give them a more responsibility trust them to run a panel and a session in a way that maps into the way we want to do it from the first year that we ran this thing. And not all the sessions always turn out that way, and, and they shouldn't. Some topics don't deserve that, right? But that's really why our audience likes coming. That's one of the top reasons of why our audience likes coming to this is because you can raise your hand. You can challenge what someone says up in the front, right? You can ask for an example. Give me an example of that. What the hell does that mean? I'm confused. And you can do that with confidence and knowing that if you're thinking it, the rest of the audience or 50% of the audience is probably thinking the same damn thing. And so blurt it out, right? It's okay, right? So that's what we want to have happen so that when you walk away, hopefully you walk away with more than just one thing you learned, right? But you have enough information to where 
you know, you take a week, think about it, and then start reaching back out to those that ran those sessions or Amy and I or whoever, and we'll help connect you with the right person to keep going, right, and make mm-hmm. it even better, get the information more flushed out to help you execute what you need on your side as a cinema or FEC operator. You know, one of the things that I found super interesting about attending this event for the first time is that so much of this industry is siloed. It's like we all have secrets that could help one another, but that's the last thing you want to share. God forbid a competitor knows how to run their own cinema brand more efficiently. It's not like it'll help you. It actually will help all of us if we make sure that every cinema experience is a better cinema experience. And what I loved about uh, the Dine in Cinema Summit is that opportunity to go into someone else's kitchen and look at the design and ask real questions. Have someone present financials and understand that the people attending and in that room, they're not going to be over there using that information for ill gain. They're using that information to help their operations run more smoothly. It's a, it's a great thing that you guys yeah. bring to the table in a very insider-heavy three days in this yeah. Dine-In Cinema Summit. Part of this that I found fascinating with the conversations I had with exhibitors is the number of folks that are looking to either expand their dine-in capabilities or, as Amy mentioned at the start, to start implementing this cinema entertainment center concepts at a bowling alley, at a large bar area, bring in things like axe throwing. Can you guys speak a little bit to what some of those trends in this sector are? I know this started really in Texas, the dine-in thing, the cinema entertainment center thing. How close are we for this to be just much bigger on a national scale? I was just going to say, I feel like as much as we don't use the P word of the unfortunate 18 months that everybody endured, that everyone just really, that was really a smack into reality of what do we need to do, right? We need to do something. If content's not coming out for us to show movies, we still have to survive. And for me, in talking with all the people that I've spoken with, you know, the theory, someone made a comment and I have just embraced it, but she goes, the longer that a bummy is in a seat or in my venue, I can make money. And I was like, that's the best way to put it. You have to, you just need to get them there, right? So how many yeah. offerings are you going to do? And we always talk about what the customer experience is and, and how to make it easy on them. Well, if a parent can go in there and let their kid, like they can have a nice meal, be at a bar, and have bar drinks, and then their kids can go do go-karts, do mm-hmm. bumper cars, do video game things, and the parent can just sit and relax for a couple hours and not feel like they're in hell for, you know, three hours with their kid, and then go to a movie, and if you've got somebody there for five hours spending money and not running their kids around, they're going to be more apt to do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, they just make it easy on, you know, as much as the customer experience is jokingly a flash and trash, right, like it's to make it like that, they want it at ease. There has to be an ease yeah. for their world, and if it's easy for them to do, I know that when, when we put our call buttons in at a bowling alley, they said just the fact that they could press a button and someone came to them to give them something. That's the ease of life, mm-hmm. and people, just, they want to easily spend yeah. money. They don't want it to be complex. They don't want to have to sit down mm-hmm. and say, oh, my gosh, now i got to get in the car, take my kid over to do this, and then we're going to load up the car another day and go do this. Make it all happen yeah. in one place. And I think people are, in this industry, they're starting to realize that. Yeah, so I agree with everything Amy said. And to focus more on the trend part of your question, five years ago, we had a, a chunk of a session that was dedicated to 
the FEC concept attached to a movie theater because one of our customers that we installed our first year or, you know, leading up to that fifth year of the summit, you know, was like, was strike and reel, right? Or was some of the, uh, I don't think we've done any Evos by then, right? But I was like, this is a cool concept, right? You got, you got this square footage still dedicated to movies, but when movies are, they're, you know, they're not consistent. This is even five years ago, right? The content's not consistent. You got a lot of down days, a lot of some down weeks and periods of the year. And you've got to keep employees. You got to, you know, so rather than focus on the ten poles that are going to keep coming, right? Let's focus on the non-ten pole period of time and go. How can we keep our kitchen busy? How can we keep employees busy? How can we keep the doors opening and closing more often during the day, during the week? Uh, because you got a lot of space in this building, and and this is five years ago. Right now, everything's being fast forward because everybody was hoping 2022 would be more normal content-wise, right? And it was more towards normal, but I think everybody now, because of how the holidays went and what the 2023 forecast looks like content-wise, I think everybody is now realizing we are not going to get back. If, if we just sit back and wait and hope that the studios get back to what the way that they ran and rolled out movies in 2019, which still had significant slowdowns in time, right? Even just during the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, movie theaters are dead, right? But we, they were so busy Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that it compensated for Monday, Tuesday, to Wednesday. Now, we don't have enough busy Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in terms of content. And so everybody now needs to focus on the fact that there's not gonna be anything more than a handful of 10 poles a year, and you're gonna have to be okay to take your 10-plex, right, and go down to an 8-plex or a 7-plex, right, which means you're giving up seats when Ant-Man comes out. You're not going to have the same number of seats. Mm -hmm. But when Ant-Man's over, you're going to have bowling. You're going to have a laser tank. You're going to have a badass bar. You're going to maybe even have go-karts and video. And you don't have to split right? so that with money. anybody. That money is money you keep. You don't have to be giving 50% exactly. plus of yeah, that you're on not, opening you're weekend. Not, you're not, that's easy money, right? That's crazy money, right? So, and I think what we're seeing, that friend is being fast-forwarded, right? I think we were heading there anyway, right, back five years ago. We were headed there because like, the strike and reels and the Evos were, were opening up and they were showing that we can be successful doing this, right? At the same time, you have main event. There's no movie theaters attached to a main event, right? You have pin stack. That's just bowling and video games. There's no, that's everything. There's laser tag and all that stuff, but there's no movie theaters. So the more momentum movie theaters let companies like that gain, right? You can't open up an Evo right next door to a main event, right? Without cannibalizing the video game thing, right? right. And so there's multiple opportunities here to go where those companies aren't yet and put a movie theater in and expand to other the FEC stuff, or if you're a movie theater and you're relatively, you have a successful business, beat the main event that wants to come in a mile down the road and rip out your auditoriums and do it now so that main event doesn't come in there, right? Mm -hmm. or, or work a deal with main event so it's right next door, right? And mm -hmm. you're sharing something together, right? To create the square footage is huge, right? You get a movie theater butted up against the main event and you can share the bar area and you can share revenue in some way because you're passing customers back and forth. There's so many good opportunities and, and, it, and it, that is the trend that we're seeing and it's been fast forwarded because the content is not where everybody was hoping it was gonna be. There's not gonna be the same number of 10 poles and the lag times are gonna be worse, the down times are gonna be worse than ever. And so, I, you know, thankfully, I think we still have time to get ahead. There's still time that you can do a remodel without taking a year, right? You don't need a year to remodel a kitchen 
to add laser tag, to add bowling. You don't need that amount of time. You can do it in three months. And I think now is going to be busier than ever for these architects and these companies that are putting that equipment in and the contractors to go fast forward and, and try to figure out how to help these theaters remodel. You know, five years ago, if you had 10 screens, you could not get rid of two. Right. The reason you got movies was because you had 10 screens and they had the rules in place. You have to take this movie and show it for four weeks. Yeah. You have to show it for six weeks. That's going away. So now you can afford to go down to an eightplex or a sevenplex and really not miss out on too much mm -hmm. from a movie perspective, except when the Ant-Man comes out. Right. When those big dogs come out, you're not going to make as much money. If you have that bowling and you have those video games, it's going to more than compensate for that. It could be twice as good. You might not make more money on weekend one, but you might make more money on weekend two, right? I yeah. think we've seen that with the theatrical yeah, exactly. run of Avatar, for example, a movie that yeah. overcompensates in premium format. There's not that many premium format screens out there. So in week two, week three, week four, that demand gets right. spread out for those slow months. Yeah. You talk about the lack of titles, even when it's not a tentpole. We live in a world where a wide release from a major studio film of a third part of a franchise like Magic Mike, it goes out to 1,500 screens? That used to be 3,500. Yeah. There's 2,000 yeah, screens crazy, there man. of exhibitors all yeah. over this country, a lot of them in not major urban areas, a lot of them in places where you do have the real estate that's affordable enough to yeah. expand into an FEC. You're seeing a lot of these exhibitors that the studios simply are not treating fairly. Let's call it how it is. They're not yeah. getting treated yeah. under yeah. the same terms as everybody else. And I think, as you note, independent players right now, independent theaters, have a unique advantage. If you're in a place where you have real estate in a way that Chicago, New York City, and L.A. doesn't have real estate, and you can take a risk yep. that a major circuit cannot take, there's no reason not to take it right now. I mean, right. there's one thing here in New York City where I can walk to five different movie theaters. If I'm in a part of Oklahoma or in a part of Texas or Nebraska where everything is yeah. 42 minutes away by car, that FEC concept, that cinema entertainment center concept looks more and more promising to me. And I don't think the FEC stuff is right, or even dine-in cinema, is not right for every single market, right? I mean, to your point, Daniel, you know, if you're in New York City or you're in downtown Chicago or you're, you know, certain locations – it's just not the right fit for just because of the demographic or whatever, right? So, I mean, like, for example, we just did an Alamo Draft House down in Wrigleyville right next door 100 yards from Wrigley Field, right? There are not a ton of families living down there, right? right. There's not the FEC concept. It would work, but you don't need all the kiddie stuff, the rope climbing shit in the ceiling or the, the rock wall, right? Adding bowling because the average demographic down there is single, no kids, 30, 35 years old. Right? They're not the rock climbing wall people. They're not the bumper cars people. They're bowling, you know, maybe some video games, right? Video game stuff is probably going to work. And a badass bar with a lot of TVs and movie theater, and you're done, right? But if you go to, you know, middle America, right? An average 100,000 person town in middle America where they only have one Marcus, right? With eight screens or 10 screens, putting in something on the other end of town that's six screens with an FEC attached to it or a part of it, you're going to kill it, right? Because whereas opposed to downtown, one screen, historic, probably not the right spot for it, right? Because to your point, Daniel, this is like either take the risk now, right, in 2023, find a way to start taking that risk and move down that path. Because if you don't, in certain markets, and it's a lot of them, 
in 2024, you're probably going to have a really, really, really hard time securing money to do anything because the banks are already going to be have given that money to someone else to compete with you with an FEC, maybe not movies, but the main events of the world are, you know, start coming into your space, right? Because the FEC stuff was happening five years ago. It's just gaining in popularity because of the age Gen X and, and all, you know, that generation that's having kids and how they want to spend money and not get in their car and drive all over town. This is that window. And movie theaters are prime for it because they have the real estate and they also have the desperation, right? They got to make the pivot because the content's never going to get back to where it was, or at least the way that content rolls out and the same terms, or you've got to hold it for six weeks or eight weeks, or you can't get the next Disney movie. You know, in general, those things are going away, right? So here's your chance to take. 15,000 square feet, 20,000 square feet, 30,000 square feet, and, and turn it into something that helps you stay alive and it gives you a new line of revenue to build on, which is going to make it easier to go get more money three years down the road for your next one, right? Or expand in your current one again, or reseed it, put new laser, put new technology in your theaters, right? So you're right, this is the time. If they don't do it now, it'll be interesting to see where they are in, in 18 months. And it's interesting when we look at the big picture, this is part of an evolution of the movie theater industry that we're seeing today. Now that film availability and film exclusivity is up in the air, being made, decisions are being made on a case-by-case, title-by-title level by studios, you can't really rely on an exclusively theatrical run. You can't even rely, if it is exclusively theatrical, that you're going to get a print. You'd be foolish to rely on it. Yeah. yeah, even if it's going to theaters, you don't even know if they feel like giving it to your theater. That's a real thing now. So what we're seeing yep. in the movie theater industry is a move to making theaters an experience and a destination. And that's what Dine-In provides. That's what premium formats provide. That's what the Cinema Entertainment yep. Center concept provides it's a big swing but it's one as you guys say i think would be an interesting thing to consider or an important thing to consider especially at this point while banks are still in a position to look at projects on a competitive basis yeah completely agree and right again because of the situation that what regal's going through and having you know they're giving up square footage right they're giving up buildings which doesn't necessarily make that building available for what we're talking about in FEC because that landlord, you know, one of the reasons Regal might be giving up that facility is because the landlord is not willing to work with them, right? So mm-hmm. why would a landlord be willing to work with someone that wants to come take that over and turn it into an FEC? You know, I wouldn't bet on that. But the fact that Regal's going away in that market, that means you got you could do screens somewhere. You could do screens in the abandoned Kmart that's a quarter mile down the road from the Regal, right? The Regal's closed and closing. And the format and the way that these FECs are structured and built and the way that some of the new architecture drawings have come out, they're really focused on converting, you know, abandoned big boxes, which is happening every day. Oh, right? every day. Yeah, Bed department Bed stores Bed left and, and right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Bed Bath & Beyond just announced that they're closing like 189 more stores, right? There's yeah. all these JCPenney's, there's all these Sears, there's all these malls that are shuttering their anchor stores, and they have tons of anchor space in a mall. The ceilings aren't as tall, right? So there are architecture challenges in those spaces. But to be honest with you, the way that the laser technology or the projector technology works and the sound technology works, 
and the way that the seating and options that are out there, you don't need your standard theater, your typical theater with these crazy high ceilings mm -hmm. to have a very functional cinema. And the rest of that square footage is set up already perfectly for the rock climbing walls, the laser tag, the bowling, all that stuff. You can jam tons of that stuff into a big box, right? So again, being and allocate the space more disproportionately perhaps to the FEC world than the cinema world. Again, square footage, I think, is that's a huge part of this. And there's going to be tons, there's already tons of it out there. And it's only going to get more and more as the year goes on, as you watch more and more of these big box companies shutter their square footage. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. What is a landlord going to do with an empty JCPenney? What's a landlord going to do with an empty Bed Bath & Beyond? It. Yeah, they're going to bulldoze it, right? I mean, they have no choice, really. But if you can keep them from doing that and let them reutilize it, right? Because there's typically nothing wrong with the structure of these buildings. Some of them are old, but cutting and replacing where you're not starting with a pouring of a foundation takes you from a, a year and a half or maybe a 14-month construction process down to six months, right. right? Literally six months. You could put six screens and a ton, you know, and all the other crap into an abandoned Kmart or an abandoned JCPenney's. So again, not get the money now when we know what the situation is and you're open by next Christmas in your new square footage, it takes money and it takes time to do the drawings, right? But I'm saying if you had a set of drawings that's already set up for that kind of project, you can spin that pretty quick, I can imagine, to go take over an abandoned JCPenney's. And, and the landlords are screaming for that, right? They want people to come with plans to go do that. So you're right. I mean, I think there's multiple opportunities on the building side. What I continue to appreciate about what we've done here is the interaction between the people. And I, I always say, I don't like saying panelists. I like the people in the front versus the people that are in the chairs. And, a, you know, a couple of moments, like one when Russell Van Orsdell from Fridley got up and started talking to ICA and he grabbed the microphone and started walking. And I, I was like, this, this is the summit, like this, this is what we do. Or somebody, like when you just went ahead and pulled Harry Medved, just pulled him onto the panel. You know, that wasn't promoted, that wasn't talked about, but it's, that's just how we roll. And so I appreciate the fluidity that everybody is, finally, they did it really after the first one, becoming incredibly comfortable that their voice is heard mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. they can participate. And it's the other moment that I think about too is when, Dan from, oh God, I don't remember what theater he was with, but his name was Dan. But he was talking to Rob Novak with Marcus and just kept Main asking Street. questions. Main Street guy? Main Street. Yeah. And he's just like, and I got one more question, and I got one more question. And, and yeah. it, you know, that all lends itself to us having to have that delicate balance of time versus content. We won't stop that. You know, we mm -hmm. won't stop those questions happening because people are there for that. Glad to see that that just continues and putting the final thing is putting competitors all together up in front and having them like talk and it's uncomfortable for all of them i know that but they do it some do it well some don't some share their secret sauce some don't but the fact that they still do it is still a rarity because yeah. there are many times that they won't do it in other venues if i could have one thing that i would love to be able to say our summit provided next year that we didn't really focus on this year would be that our summit would be the place where we socialize some new avenues for revenue for this industry, right? Or some, or the technology that kind of changed the economics of the industry that we're in. And when I took, the only way to pull that off is to let, is so when someone stumbles across something 
like I'll just use robots as an example, right? When Flick's Brewhouse rolled out these robots and they called me and said, we need you to reintegrate your system to integrate with the robots. I was like, what is going on here? What's with this robot thing? That was firsthand my customer reaching out to me because I'm Venue Valet, not because I'm the Dining Summit, okay? So they reached out to me because of Venue Valet and then I call up Chance Robertson and I say, hey Chance, this is really cool. Tell me why we're doing this. Why is Flix going down this path? Why are you making me or asking me to integrate our system to it, and he's honest with me, and he answers the questions, and he tells me what the economics are, and I go, damn, dude. Now, I said, do you mind? I said, I'm going to ask you because I respect you, but because I don't have to ask you, but I'm going to ask you, do you mind if I take that robot company that you're using, and I'm going to take a robot to CinemaCon, right, and put it in my booth, because I believe what you're doing is fantastic for a lot of my customers, right? And he goes, go for it, dude. I, I want everybody to survive. I want, if everybody can save, you know, 10% in payroll in a year by using robots that are already out there today and Flix is using them, then that's good for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Flix survives, but so does Fridley, where they, they might compete in certain markets. But if we don't innovate and we don't stick together and we don't focus on looking for those things, whether it's adding bowling or whatever, we're all going to be in a bad spot down the road, right? So I want people to, when they go to a theater or they go to into a certain city and they see something and go, that would be cool and a cool addition to the FEC world, right? Putting VR in an FEC is relatively new. Someone said, we could put VR here, right? So I hope when that happens, when someone stumbles on the next thing, that they send, that they go to the Dynat Cinema Summit website and they click on the op the button that says, I saw something new that we should talk about next year. And that we get two, three, four of those a year, a month, I mean, from people that are all over the country, even all over the world, that know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so as the year goes on, we are building a list of things that Amy and I can go off and make phone calls and try to validate this is cool, right? This would be a good idea. It, you know, maybe you should partner with a local brewery and bring it into your theater. That's a cool idea. Maybe you should partner with or bring this kind of, you know, I ran into a new video game kind of concept, whatever. I ran into a new style of bowling. Someone put a go-kart into this FEC and it looks fantastic. Just like we tried to do with the robots this year. It's like expose this to everybody and let them talk to people that have already done it so that they can see, hear the economics firsthand. It's not hypothetical. It's not theoretical. Shit's real. Flicks knows they're doing it, right? And then, and so people walk away and go, robots is something we got to look at. If we're not, we're dumb because it pays for itself in 90 days. What's the risk, right? It's perfect. The summit can become the spot for that. Mm -hmm. It's huge. It's huge for our what we're doing. And, and that, that would be cool, along with talking about how people are suffering, operations are struggling, how can we help you in your kitchen, all those stuff that, are, that we've always talked about since the first year. But it would be also nice to dedicate a whole day or at least a half a day to this is some new cool shit you guys should be aware of. No matter what market you're in, you should consider looking at this because we think it's working somewhere and it could be great for your business. And that was Matt and Amy Mader from the Dine-In Cinema Summit. Thank you once again for joining us, for you, the listeners, and to my colleague, Rebecca Polly, who was on the air earlier with me. We'll be back next week for another episode of the Box Office Podcast. This show is produced by the Box Office Company in collaboration with Box Office Pro and Record Edit Podcast. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, like, share, because the more subscribers, the better it is for everybody. And we'll talk to you again next week.